Good evening. It's good, good to uh, be able to be back. And tonight we're going to do something different here. We're not going to preach. At least I'm not. <laughs> You're going to. You're going to get to preach a little. So, uh, want to talk about uh, God's God's part of working in the gospel, and uh, we're going to talk about an, an an experience, an incident that I had this last week. A few of us actually had together this last week in teaching someone. And it was uh, unique enough that I thought it would be good for us to share it together and that you be encouraged by it and that we talk about what the process was as we did this. We'll start with an opening introduction scripture. I'm going to ask you what you see in the scripture, so uh, please turn to Ezekiel chapter 36 and we will notice the very last two verses of chapter 36, verse 37 and 38. This whole context, beginning back in verse 19, is about uh, God's prophecies to those in exile, about what was going to happen when the Messiah came, how God was going to change the hearts of his people and uh, cleanse them and, uh, and cause them to love him and to be careful to obey him. And at the very end of this particular text, uh, God says this in verse 37, Thus says the Lord God, This also will I, I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them, to increase their people like a flock, like the flock for sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem during her appointed feast. So shall the waste cities be filled with flocks of people. Then they will know that I am the Lord. All right. So, first question. You should see two or three things in this text that would just be simple things that God has stated here that apply in the days of the Messiah on and including our day. So what would you see? Quick points uh, from these two verses. Good. He wants you to talk to him and ask. Yeah. I mean, he's going to give it to you. He's already promised it to yeah. them, but he still wants them to ask him. Good. So you've mentioned actually two things in the text. He made a promise, but the promise is dependent upon us asking. So ask me. I will let you ask me. Application for us. What would you say is an immediate application for us? I mean, you briefly mentioned it. Ask. But say something more about it. What'd you say, Michelle? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just what I said. Yeah. Just like we read in the, in the opening scripture, he wants us to ask. Wants and, and, and he'll give it to us. So how, we, how, how well are we doing with that? Just first we have to be still enough and cognizant enough that we need this before we can Good, good. We, we need to understand our need to do this, absolutely. We need to understand the need also of the lost in the world. That is obviously critical. This is a work God is doing with us, not in spite of us. It's a work he does with us. He has to do it with us. 
because it's, he's not going to send a band of angels to do it. Uh, they would not be good evangelists. Everybody understands why, evan- why angels wouldn't be good evangelists? Can somebody tell me why they wouldn't be a good evangelist? He never uses an angel to be an evangelist. Why wouldn't they be good evangelists? Well, they can be they can be nice too, you know. <laughs> why wouldn't any, why wouldn't why didn't God just send a bunch of angels? Why why use us? I mean, we're bad at this. Yes. Yeah, you send an angel, and everybody's going an angel. <laughs> sure, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> you, he does not want people to be impressed with the messenger. He wants them to be impressed with the message, Adam. Fear not. They're, yeah, not, they're scared. <laughs> Run away. So, so yeah, that's, a, that's an aspect Yeah, good. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul makes the statement in verse 7. He said, but he said that we have this treasure in clay jars. So that the treasure is what people see and not the jars. In fact, in the context, he's actually there talking about the importance of the treasure being in a clay jar because the clay jar gets broken and all of this. And he says, that's what we do. We break our jar in order for people to see the treasure. You know, that's like when Mary anointed Jesus she, she doesn't have a cute little Chanel number no. 5 bottle or something that she pops the cork off of. She has to break it in order to spill the contents. And so that, that's, it's a beautiful picture. We're supposed to break our jar so that others can see. And we, as he goes on that text, it says, we die so others can live. So that's what he's looking for because we display the gospel and how we live in presenting it to other people. We're displaying it by showing we're willing to die for them to, uh, to be saved. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've heard uh, non-Christians comment about Christians and how far they will go in order to sacrifice themselves so to, to help other, somebody else see the gospel. It, it, it's, it, I hear it all the time. I hear it when I'm doing it because they're going, why would you as a preacher actually come to my house? Why, I've never had a pastor wanted to come to my house. Louis was, a, <laughs> you re, I, I just thought of this, Louis. <laughs> we, we, uh, uh, Rebecca had gone to a Bible study that uh, Melanie Hill, uh, just a mom study in the morning that Melanie Hill invited to. And we invited uh, the family over for dinner. And I was getting ready to ask Louis if he'd like to study. And Louis said to me, you know, every place I've ever been, I've always wanted to, I, I've always said, so cool for a pastor to actually study with me. And I just know that's impossible. But, uh, you know, I, I just, it would just be, it's just one of my dreams. And I looked at him and I said, well, um, actually, I was just getting ready to ask you if you'd study with me, so that's not a problem. <laughs> but it, it, that you see the mindset, uh, you're going to show the difference you will, anyone will, when you sacrifice yourself so others can hear. And, and so, the, yeah, angels are not good 
uh, good messengers. We are, we're his body, and that's how that gets across. So this is done uh, together uh, with, with the Lord. That's, uh, that's, that's the basic idea. And just an implication here, this indicates that when we ask, the Lord is going to give opportunities, isn't he? He's going to give opportunities so that his people can be multiplied and like sacrifices in Jerusalem. So it's a real pretty promise and picture, reminds us we need to be more diligent in our prayers about others and asking God to do this. All right, so there's basically introduction. There's a lot of passages that could we could go along with that. I don't have time to do that. I will mention one here, Colossians chapter 4 and verses 2 and 3. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Paul says, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, at the same time pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Uh, that's, that, that sentiment Paul will repeat a number of times, 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 1, and other passages. So that's always important. I think of examples in which that happens, how God sends Philip to teach the Ethiopian, uh, how he, how Cornelius is in the middle of prayer when God appear, an angel appears and says, your prayers have reminded me of my promises. I'm going to send Peter uh, to come and teach you. So they, I, I've seen this in my life many, many times where God just opens a particular door. So here's the setup for tonight. Uh, on Tuesday mornings, as most of you know, we do a Zoom meeting from 9 to, um, to 10. Uh, and uh, uh, regulars are like Melissa here. Uh, and what did I do? Hit that button there. Uh, regulars are uh, Melissa, uh, uh, Leslie, uh, who is up in Canada. Uh, she's one of the Christians that joins on regularly. Sarah joins on with us uh, regularly. I don't know if there's another regular. And who? Oh yeah, Judy. That's right. Judy's, uh, Judy's on with us uh, most of the time too. So anyway, the, us, us four are the, are the ones that usually are there. And then we have some visitors. Some are very regular. Some just show up, pop in, pop out, here, the, here, and there. So this Tuesday, a new person joined in on the site. His name was Jim. And uh, we were reading. We, had, we were in 1 Corinthians. We were getting ready to read in 1 Corinthians 11 about the establishment of the Lord's Supper or, or Paul's reminder to them about the Lord's Supper. And I, you know, greeted uh, Jim. We talked for a second. He was from California. And I went, yay. So we talked a little bit about California and where he is and etc. And so we're getting ready to read. And Jim says, by, by the way, before you do, um, I've never read the Bible before. Here's, in fact, what he said. I've never read the Bible before, though I've gone to Mass many times, so just be aware that I will have difficulty finding Bible passages, and I, I don't know, uh, I won't understand very well, maybe. Is that too much fun? <laughs> so, so as I'm uh, uh, gathering my thoughts quickly, uh, I thought, okay, where am I going to go with this? So obviously I canceled everything that I had planned in the class. 
we're not reading about the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11. We've got more important fish to fry here. So I, I, I said, well, that's great. I said, by the way, you know, this is a really loose class. We don't stick with something. If somebody has a question, we're glad to go in that direction. So you brought something up that's very well, uh, very, very interesting. So let's, uh, let, let me just begin by asking you a question. So this is what I started with. What translation of the Bible are you reading? All right, so tell me, I'm, here's where I'm stopping you. Why did I believe that was an important question to start with? You okay? We want to be on the same page. What if he said... I'm reading the, um, that's a good one. Yeah, the message or the New World Translation. Okay, new, anybody know what the New World Translation is? That's Jehovah's Witness. Okay, they have purposely put, put forward a translation that says things the way they want it said. In fact, the translators of the New World Translation wouldn't let themselves be known. They've never, it's never been revealed. They hide it, <laughs> which is not true of any other translation of the Bible. The reason they hide it is because they'd get <laughs> whacked by actual Hebrew and Greek scholars who would say, what in the world are you talking about? You know, that kind of thing. Uh, the message is just, woo. <laughs> It is way out there. It's like somebody is just writing their own thoughts almost about each text and the way they could, they'd see it. So it's not truly a translation at all. So what if you didn't read? What if, more importantly, and here's what was mostly in my mind, here's a guy who's never read the Bible and everything. He's maybe reading, and this happens a lot, the King James Version. Okay? So um, why would I be concerned? There's nothing wrong with King James Version if you can understand that language. There's nothing, absolutely, I mean, I, I love that version. I'd go back and <laughs> stick with that version if I could teach people with it. But, uh, yeah, what, what, why, why would I be concerned if he's reading the King James? Yeah, that's right. If you're not used to it, it's like reading Shakespeare. And when I was in college, I couldn't understand Shakespeare either. So <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a different language. And, and it would be very, very, very much a struggle. And I've had that happen a lot of times in these same situations. So what, what translation are you using? Fortunately, he said, he turned his Bible like this. And he goes, I'm reading the New King James. I said, fantastic. New King James is a great translation. I see it's not hard to understand. It's it's written uh, fairly simple, and yet it's accurate. It, it's a great translation. I'm I'm glad that you're uh, looking at that. So I I followed up with that with an explanation of the reason for translations. Why 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 was that important for me to talk about? Why we think that was important. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Not all, all translations are going to word things exactly the same. Uh, and there's some reasons for that, but it's not going to be exactly the same, even though the message is identical. It's not going to word it exactly the same. And some people conclude, they will say it like this Oh, there's all these different interpretations of the Bible. They'll use that word, interpretations. Oh, there's all these different interpretations of the Bible. Oh, you can't trust it. Well, okay, uh, first off, uh, you're using the wrong term. There aren't all these different interpretations. There's translations. So I said it something like this. You would understand even today 
uh, if uh, you were in the UN and you had one a, tr one, a translator translating Russian or a couple of translators who were working on translating the Russian uh, ambassador or whatever, uh, there might be different ways the two translators would go about using certain words, though the words would be synonymous and they might use a different order of how they would get the message across. If you're acquainted at all with how you talk about one, you know, take words from one language and translate it into another language, you know it doesn't just pass over simply word by word. It doesn't work that way because we don't have the same words. Let me give you an example. In Japan, Japanese language does not have a word for sin. Can you imagine trying to teach a Japanese person and you're reading their Bible and their Japanese Bible says criminal. You say that to a Japanese person and they go, I'm not a criminal. <laughs> so you, it's, it's all these different ways of putting something out and, and this, this is a challenge. So I'm, I'm explaining that and there's, there's that reason then for these translations. Now why, why would I, and I brought this up, when I mentioned the King James instead of the New King James. When was the King James Bible translated? 1600, 1611, more exact, but, but right at the beginning of, of the 17th century. Okay, so that's 400 years ago. That's when it's translated. And I explained to him, I said, so even though it's a great translation, words and their meanings have changed over those 400 years. So that's a good illustration as to why it was important for translators to go back and translate it again for the more modern listener and hearer. I gave an example. This is a really good example. You can jot this down. It's, I use this one example. There's a lot of examples, but this is one example that's the easiest. Hebrews 13.5. And I just cited it for him, but Hebrews 13.5. Let your, King James translation, let your conversation be free of covetousness. Okay, you're a modern day reader. You don't know anything about King James uh, Bible. How would you understand let your conversation be free of covetousness? Somebody tell me. Pardon? Yeah, don't, don't talk about greed. <laughs> don't talk about coveting. <laughs> don't, don't, don't say anything about coveting. That would be the way to... Well, in 1611, the word conversation meant your manner of life. It didn't mean your words, particularly. It just meant your manner, how you would live, your manner of life. So, uh, the more modern translations say, let your manner of living, let your way of life be free of greed. So, don't fill your life with greed or love of money or something like this. That's the idea. All right, so Jim is able to go, oh, okay, cool. So you're reading New King James, it's going to say that instead of the Old King James conversation, which makes it more possible than for you to read it and understand it for yourself. And that then is, is, is really critical. I also mentioned that, um, uh, that translators will occasionally produce an update to their translation. Numeric Standard Bible. How many updates has the NASB done? Anybody know? 
It was originally produced in 1961. At least the New Testament was completed in 1961. How many updates? Wild guess. Two updates. One in 1995, one in 2020. So why did they update? Why didn't they just stick with 1961? Pardon? Yeah, since 1961, one is just, again, the, the language and words have changed somewhat. Uh, the original New American Standard, anytime God was being quoted or talked about, it would still have thee and thou in it. <laughs> so they were, they were sticking with that because the, cr most Christians who lived back in the 1960s were really struggling with calling God you. Yeah, you, you hear still occasionally people pray in the King James lingo. I'm, I'm not having a problem with that, by the way. But then when they address God, they see thee and thou because it was ingrained in their minds that it would be disrespectful just to say you. And, and you, well, we sang a song um, tonight that... Uh, that had that, you know, like the song, I am thine, O Lord, uh, you leadeth me, <laughs> we sang uh, this morning. And so you, you, you see those, those kinds of wording. So it was believed that that was wrong. Now, just so you understand, in the Greek and in the Hebrew, the pronouns are absolutely no difference when they're referring to God or when they're referring to man. In fact, the New American Standard capitalized he or, you, or, or thy or thine when it referred to God. You had to capitalize it. Well, modern versions don't capitalize it because they know the Greek and the Hebrew did not make any differentiation in those things at all. So anyway, those are some of the things that you have to understand and acknowledge. So I'm, I'm explaining that there's not only language updates during that, but there's occasionally updates as well just because uh, they're needed, because you, you will discover as you read a new version, some maybe ambiguous type verses that you're looking at it and you're cocking your head and going, what is he saying there? I'm not following that. Like this morning, I didn't actually read the verse, but Hebrews 6, and I mean Hebrews 8 and verse 6, I think is so convoluted in the ESV that I don't even want to read it. it, it, it and the New King James was so much plainer. <laughs> and, and most of the other versions. But somehow, every well and then, a, a, a translator will try to be so exact in how the Greek order of words was used that they bomb you. you know, you're like, I'm not really following that really well. So they will update sometimes because they will get complaints, not understanding that, not following that. Uh, not uncommon, by the way, for translators to complete a version, and before they print it, they will send it out to, quote-unquote, pastors among all churches. They'll just send it out. Brent has been a part of that a lot of times. And they'll send it out, and they'll ask them to, would you read through this and give us some of your feedback? Does this... Is this understandable? That sort of thing. So there's updates that are, that are done uh, for that reason then as well. So there's a little bit of what I talked about. Okay, he follows up with this question. Do you read many translations or do you just settle on one like the ESV? 
So he's like, okay, so let me get this straight. You just pick one translation and everything else, all the other translations you don't bother with. Uh, you know, what, what do you, how do you do that? How would you answer? Um, I, I would say I use translations for a few different purposes. Uh, my primary Bible is an ESV, but depending on what I'm doing, I might use a different Bible, for example, one that reads more easily. Um, and then there are other times when in my study, I want to compare what multiple people have said. So I'll choose a few different translations that I know take slightly different points of view on, on language, and I'll, I'll use them to compare um, to, get a, to get a better idea of the text. Okay, good, good. So there's, there, there's a few reasons why you might look at others. One uh, that Adam mentioned here, well, who, I might be reading with somebody. What if I'm reading with my sixth grader? <laughs> Maybe I'm going to choose a different translation that is a little simpler uh, than, than something that is more written for or translated for an adult. So I might, I might consider that. Plus, comparing translations. Let's hone in on how we might talk about comparing translations. Go ahead. To, to know how they were translated and for what purpose they were translated is important. Because there could be biases in those translations. Or there could be difference in how they translated. Did they try to be more exact, literal? Or did they try to add their own emphasis? Okay. So, good comment. I'm going to suggest that if you said it that way to somebody who's like Jim, you might shake him a little bit because he's not following what you're doing there, what you're, what you're saying. So we'll hone that a little bit, but you bring up a good point. Adam, go ahead. Well, the, the, the way I would talk about it is, um, for example, some translations are, are focused very much on a word-for-word -word idea. Like a New American Standard is going to to focus very highly on what individual words say. Um, and there are some Bibles that translate more like what does the thought say? And so the words might be in less specific order, like the American Standard, makes it hard to read, by the way. Or, but there are other good, good translations that are focused on translating thoughts, um, and that approach can make them a little easier to read. Um, for example, the New Living Translation or a few others that are Okay. More, more easily read uh, because of their, their focus on the All right. Did everybody hear that? You hear it in the back? Okay. Uh, so uh, Adam, Adam brings up then, yeah, you have, you have an approach that translators sometimes take. Uh, NIV, when they came out, they talked about how their approach was to give you and try to communicate to you the original thought of the text that was originally in the person's mind. What could be a problem with that? Yeah, you might just, they might be putting some bias into that. The way they saw the text, they may be translated. So that kind of scares you a little bit. On the other hand, the New American Standard Bible boasted in the beginnings of their translation. I have not looked at their 2020 update to see if they say this. I hope they don't because um, it's not quite right. Uh, they will kind of boast of a, this is a literal word-for-word -word translation. Folks, there is no such thing. <laughs> that is a M 
impossibility. <laughs> uh, anybody ever, how many of you have ever uh, looked at a Greek interlinear Bible? Okay, you have the Greek text and then you have the English words underneath each of the Greek, of Greek words. Anybody, how many of you read that? Elizabeth, you guys have seen that. What, 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 do you, what, what happens when you read that? <laughs> you got to start from right to left. Yeah, because if you're reading Hebrew, that, that, if, uh, yeah, the, the words are all in different places because it's just like um, uh, in Spanish. Uh, you, you don't say the adjective first. You don't say the beautiful woman. You say the woman beautiful. Uh, so if, if you are, it, it, it just is all mixed up and it's very, very hard to read and to follow. Plus, all languages have synonyms, and those synonyms can be, you know, uh, somebody else might use a different word that means exactly the same thing. There's synonyms in Greek, etc. Jesus uses two different words to, uh, to talk about love with Peter, and yet it meant exactly the same thing. He used agape and phileo. But it, it meant the same thing to, to Peter. So there's a lot of different things like that. So it's, it's just not so that, that even the New American Center was literal word for word. It couldn't be, you wouldn't be able to read it hardly. It would drive you cuckoo. <laughs> so that's not exactly it. Now what they're trying to communicate though is true. They are really trying to just give you what the scripture said as best they can in a English in the English where it flows smoothly. That's that they're just doing the best they can with that, and that's all anybody can do. By the way, um, did, do you know? Did, did, did God, was God okay with translations? Anybody answer that? Yeah, the New Testament writers quote the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew all the time. And by the way, if you wanted to be picky, you would say the Septuagint isn't a really great <laughs> translation of the Hebrew in many cases. But Jesus was fine with it. God was fine with it. It was not a problem. So there's no problem with different translations, and that's important uh, to understand. Yeah. Well, I, okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I understand. The, the question is, wouldn't it be better just to say something like, well, you know, that's a really good question, but before we talk about the question, let's talk about something maybe more important with salvation or et cetera. Is that your question? Kind of like just to say that the message of salvation is pretty, oh. pretty on point. Yeah, okay, I see what you mean. It, it, it wouldn't matter what translation you're reading, you still get the message that would be on point. N no doubt, you would. And, and I did uh, point that out as well. Uh, but there has to be some basis for him accepting that. And so I'm giving a little more explanation. But you're right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, multiple now, and this this brings up the next thing. Multiple translations are are good. Uh, we've talked about that point there. Um, uh, there's a number of things translators have to consider, which makes some of these differences. And I pointed these things out. For one thing, a translator must consider what reading level am I? We're going to translate. So most of them are somewhere between seventh grade and sophomore in high school. Uh, I think New King James is like seventh grade. New American Standard is like sophomore in high school. So, you, you know, you're going to have different reading levels for the NIV is, is going to be probably fifth or sixth grade. They're, they're, they're trying to make it even simpler. And there's some out that are maybe even simpler than that. So, you gotta, they have to consider reading levels. So, are you going to get different words and different ways, sentence structure of that? Sure, you are. Uh, translators must consider the culture of the audience. <laughs> uh, if you grew up in the South and somebody mentions that this was a desert place, this was a desert, what would you think? Or a desolate. You might think the woods, or you might think the forest, or you might think of something like, if you're from California like I am, you think of the Mojave Desert. You know, it's desolate. You know, all that, that's the desolate. Well, when the eunuch was baptized and taught, it says in the King James, this was a desert but there was water. There's all this. You know, so I, I remember endless talk, endless arguments about people. Well, it was desert, so there couldn't have been enough water there to immerse him. Not the kind of desert you're thinking of. The translators themselves, and I've read this from one of the translators of the NIV, he said, we had a tremendous discussion about how we're going to translate desert. Because one of us is saying, I grew up in the south and desert, you know, desolate and all that. It was what the Greek word means. That's out there in the woods. <laughs> and the other guy goes, no. <laughs> it's like the Mojave Desert or the Sahara Desert. And they're going, then there's no water. No, that's not it either. How are we going to translate this word? <laughs> it's deserted. Okay, hey, that fits. So you, you, you see, even, even in, a, in America, you might have different concepts that would come across with that. You, you begin to appreciate what these translators go through in order to get some of that uh, out. And then I think the most important thing that I expressed to him was comparing translations is a great substitute for knowing Hebrew or Greek. There are literally thousands of translators that have been used in translating different versions of the Bible just in the past 70 years. When I first started teaching all their, the most common Bible, 90% of the people that were reading Bibles were reading King James Version. How many translators worked on the King James Version? Everybody knows that, right? <laughs> so 47. 47 translators worked on the King James Version. And they really only had about seven manuscripts to work with. It is amazing the job they did. Amazing. It was so good. Uh, so they were trying to get it in the common language. Since that time, thousands of translators have worked on the scriptures with all these different versions, not just for English, but for, for languages all around the world and Africa and, and all kinds of places. Uh, Anand, he has a Bible that we study when he's st studying together. A lot of times we'll reference it's in Telugu. Telugu is one language out of many in India. There's tons of languages in India. And there's somebody, some group of people have translated the Bible into Telugu. 
Praise God. What an amazing thing. And so you can compare these translators. And Melvin Curry, some of you would be aware of Melvin. He used to teach at Florida College. But Melvin Curry, I never forget, he telling all of us preacher boys uh, and saying to us, look, uh, let me tell you something. I can, you know, he could read Hebrew and you could read Greek and he didn't need an English Bible. And he, he told us, he said, if you use a lot of different translations and compare them, you'll pretty well get everything you need to know from the Hebrew and Greek. Because there's so many translators that were working on it. If somebody's trying to cheat, <laughs> it's gonna, they're going to stand out like a sore thumb. It's just not going to work. So this, it's, it's a really cool uh, picture with that. In fact, uh, what I posed the question, what if a new translation was produced in order to change the message? All these thousands of translators would immediately attack them and go, prove it. Where's your manuscript evidence for this? You don't have a right to do it. It would be discarded quickly and immediately, which the New World Translation has been discarded. Uh, by the way, one of the major things they did in the New World Translation, John 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was a God. <laughs> a God, not God. I <laughs> have no basis for that whatsoever. And uh, that and many other passages is the reason uh, they hid their work. All right. So, so that'd be one thing. And, and I might mention the example of the Greek word ace that's used in Acts 2.38. Uh, Repent and be baptized for. The word ace is, uh, word for is translated from the word ace. So uh, for the forgiveness of sins. I used to have discussions all the time with uh, some in uh, uh, the mainline denominations. I say, oh no, that means because your sins have already been forgiven. You need to be baptized because you're already saved. And it's just an outward show of an inward grace. They would say that all the time. And, uh, and, and they said, well, do you know Greek? Well, I, I, know, I think I know one. He makes sausage on the corner, but that's, you know, that's about as far as I get. Uh, so here, what, what am I going to say about that? Well, now I can say there are tons of translations all over the world, all kinds of languages. None of them translate because of. None. Besides that, in Matthew 26, 28, the exact same phrase is used in the Greek and in the English. Jesus said, this is my blood which I've given for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Did he give his blood because sins had already been forgiven? No. Same exact text. So you can answer that easier now than when I was just using King James and there were no other translations and I don't know Greek. So it, it's, it's valuable uh, with that. All right. Uh, we, we, that led us into me talking with him a bit about the accuracy of Scripture. I wanted him to understand because there's so much out there on this business. I wasn't sure where he, what he had read or what he had seen. The accuracy of Scripture is based on manuscripts. I explained a manuscript. He seemed to understand that. Handwritten copies of Scripture, both Old and New Testament. Anybody have an idea of how many manuscripts or manuscript fragments do we have of the New Testament? Okay. How many? 
just a, just a bit more. <laughs> good, good, good try. 24,000 manuscript copies of the New Testament, including translations. That's pretty significant, right? <laughs> That's really valuable, too. Because, and I didn't go into this much with, uh, with Jim, but it's valuable because if any scribe happened to just write the word, misspell it, or put it in the wrong order, or even leave the word out, the volume of other manuscripts would show that. It would indicate, yeah, the scribe just messed up there, and it's pretty obvious. It was just a scribal error or variant, as it's, it's called a variant, uh, among those who uh, to translate and stuff. Uh, scripture, I don't have time to go into all that. We will do that later. But I want him to be impressed with the number of copies that we have, and that when a translation is given, they go back and they use that. They don't go, oh, okay, let's just... Uh, Let's start with one of the older versions and we'll just retranslate it from that. They don't do a translation of a translation. Uh, there is one exception to that. The uh, Douay version of the Bible. Anybody know what that is? That's the Catholic Bible. Use the approved Catholic Bible. They, 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 they have another Bible they approve, uh, they approve now. But for years, that was the Douay version. It was a translation of the Latin, which was the Latin was a translation of the Greek and Hebrew. There's a translation of a translation. And you can see a lot of uh, errors and ambiguity. You still get the same. I studied with Catholics all the time using their Catholic Bible. It didn't bother me. I could still do it, but it's quite different sometimes because of that dual <laughs> uh, translation that was given. How many translations, how many, excuse me, the earliest, by the way, manuscript of the New Testament, manuscript fragment, is the John Ryland fragment. I, I actually saw that in a, uh, uh, a traveling museum one time. Uh, pretty cool. Uh, it was dated 130 AD. So that's just about 30 years or so after the Apostle John died. So that's getting us back or real, real close to the days of the New Testament. Anybody know where the, when the, uh, the oldest complete manuscript of the New Testament, what, what date? No idea? Okay, there's two of them. The Venaticus and the Sinatic and the Sinaticus. Uh, manuscripts. You'll see that mentioned in your Bible footnotes, by the way. Dated 325 AD. 325 AD. So that's the oldest complete. Doesn't mean you can't find complete by putting uh, different fragments together previous to that, but it is the oldest complete uh, manuscript. And, and those were discovered just in the 20th century. So they're relatively new uh, discoveries. And then uh, 8,000 uh, manuscript copies of the Old Testament, the Hebrew, which is really amazing, 3,500 years ago. Uh, that has been completed, and we have that many. Uh, I think it was either Sarah or Leslie that brought up this question at that point and said, how does that compare to other writings of antiquity? Which is a good, uh, was a good question. I didn't have this chart available, but I just mentioned off the top of my head this particular chart. Don't know how well you can uh, see that. But I mentioned primarily Plato there. Uh, Plato uh, wrote between 427 and uh, 347 BC, but our earliest manuscript of his writings are 900 AD, and there's only seven copies of his writings. Plato. I had to take tests 
in college on Plato, and nobody ever said, well, you know, you can't trust whether those manuscripts reported or uh, reflected exactly what Plato said. Nobody said that, even though they were 1,300 years old or 1,200 years old. Wow. So there's a lot of examples. You can see Aristotle and some others. When you compare the New Testament, written between 45 and 96 uh, or so A.D., earliest uh, manuscript 130, and you could you can put the whole Bible together. By the way, just on quotations of uh, lectionaries who read the Bible and wrote it down in churches, you can reproduce the whole New Testament, uh, with the exception of 11 verses. Just with that, uh, so it's like a 40-year time span. And we have, as I mentioned, 24,000 copies. So you make that comparison. Uh, somebody, Leslie or Sarah, one of the two, asked the question, what's the most manuscripts of any writer? And I said, the Iliad. There were 647 copies of the Iliad because it was considered somewhat religious uh, in its time. But that's about as, that's as close as you really get as far as number of manuscripts. So you see, if you can't trust, and here's your answer, if you can't trust what you're reading with Plato or any of these other writers of antiquity, uh, if, you, if you can't trust the Bible, then you can't believe in anything else that you're ever reading from antiquity. So the Bible has so much more uh, evidence that is for it. So we're, we're pretty well out of time, but uh, uh, he asked this question. I think it's just good to just mention briefly. Where should I begin to read? I've started with the Old Testament, but got lost quickly. How would you answer? Pardon? Yeah, start with something in the New Testament. You start with Luke, start with Matthew, start with a gospel, start with something in the New Testament. Uh, and I told him, I said, yeah, the Old Testament is going to be a challenge for you. Uh, the problem in starting there is even the angels and the prophets didn't understand it. <laughs> when you got to some of the things, where is this going? So I said, you read the end of the mystery, and then you can go back and fit the mystery into what you're seeing there. So I, that's what I suggest to him. And I said, if you'll begin with Matthew, here's what I would suggest. Just begin with Matthew and start reading. Have a notebook next to you. As soon as I said that, he lifted up his notebook. He says, I got it. I said, have a notebook next to you. And as you read, when you come across a verse or verses that you struggle with understanding, jot that down. And, he, and then I'm going to give you my phone number. And I gave you my phone number. And I said, when you get a little bit of reading done, text me. We'll set up a Zoom meeting and we'll sit down and go over that. And we can do that every week. And he was really excited. And so that's the plan going forward. That didn't go with Mark because he's never read the Bible before. And uh, I wanted him to be able just to see, you know, the birth of Jesus and all this. And also being a growing up in the Catholic church, uh, he would have beliefs about the Virgin Mary, not having any other children, and a lot of concepts that may be off. So I wanted him to see it from Matthew's point of view. Could have used Luke as well. The only reason I shy away from Luke with somebody uh, on a one-on-one -on -one basis, it's very long, as all of you who know, who are in our Sunday morning class, no comments from the peanut gallery here. Uh, so <laughs> yes, it's, it's very long, good to know, but, uh, but more difficult maybe in our day and time. Uh, we are, uh, get to the point, sir, get to the point, sir, get to the point. You know, that's it. All right.
so there you are. There's, uh, there's, uh, there's uh, what I wanted to talk about tonight. I had a couple of, just another simple thing up there, but we'll leave it at that, and, uh, and we can talk about some other things later. We're going to use, by the way, I've, I've done some plans on Sunday night. We're going to use uh, hopefully at least uh, one Sunday night a month where we're going to do something like this to get ourselves better, better acquainted with and prepared with conversations and what might happen. So this is just a good starting point when you're thinking in terms of uh, being prepared. 1 Peter 3.15, be prepared. So here's a good starting point. Somebody might say this to you. You might talk to somebody. So I never read the Bible. Cool. Why don't we read it together? That's nice. All right. Uh, we're going to sing a song. And uh, if we can help anyway, anyone here or in any way uh, with your uh, 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 seeking God, obviously uh, glad to do so. While we together stand and sing.